you've been looking for a podcast to help you transform your physical and mental one that'll shoot you straight between the eyes with truth and no bs helping you have the right mindset to accomplish things the iron will and fortitude to follow through with what you say you're going to do no excuses Mark owns martial arts schools, and after 30 years, he has some real insight for real talk, real life, real conversations, motivational, fitness, self-defense, weight loss, live from the Great 1-8. This is Real Talk with Mark Cox. Now we are live. Good morning, Joey. How you doing? Doing well, sir. Yourself? Should be doing good. Real good. Real good. I told you we're gonna already have people popping online this morning for this one. So I feel pretty privileged. I find out this is the only podcast that you've ever done so far. So this is something new, and I know how much you love being on camera and being the center of attention. So yeah, it's my favorite be. thing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So before we get started, I, I think I'll, I'll introduce you. This is Joe Burchard, and I'm going to go ahead and let them. We all call him Chappie, and we'll we'll let you know why that is here soon. That's his, uh, you know, that's his nickname. That's how we that's how we were introduced to him. Um, they'll be camp. Oh, Ashley Sage, check it out. She's already on here. Party. <laughs> hey, you know, Ashley had the opportunity to come and train with you, bro. She didn't want to do it. I mean, you it's know? okay to be scared. Yeah, you know, last time I was coming out, I told yep. her she can come. She didn't do it. So there's that. We'll see what kind of smart aleck comment she comes up with after that. So <laughs> anyway, with no further ado, Joe, I'm going to have you take it away. Let's uh, um, go ahead and introduce yourself, what you did in our service to our country. We appreciate your the patriot that you are. You, you went to war for us so that we have this freedom of blanket. Doesn't go unnoticed by me, that's for sure. I know that sometimes it does by others, but not by me. So I do really appreciate your service to our country. Why don't you go ahead and give everybody. Oh, look at, check it, dude. John Viverk is on from the awesome. hospital listening to you. I'm glad. All right. Glad to hear so, he's actually up and moving again. Yep. Won't well, be long you know, before I can start making fun of him. And that's right. Well, you can start making fun of him now, dude. There's no reason. We've been making fun of him since he 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 was a mummified uh, Dean. Oh, look at John. Look what he tells you. American badass. So he's yeah. See, he, you're more than welcome to go ahead and start making fun of him. It's already ready to go. So with um, uh, he, you know, that's that's all we did over the weekend anyway when we were doing testing. So. <laughs> All right, so Joe, why don't you go ahead and, and let everybody know your service, what your rank was. And now that you've retired, you've retired here just recently, uh, how you ranked, what you did in the service. And uh, I'll look at my cute husband. <laughs> <laughs> you see, I told yeah. you how popular you're going to be, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, go ahead, Joe. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and, your, and what you've done in the military for us. All right. Uh, so my uh, name is Joe Bouchard. I uh, joined the military uh, in November 7th of 2000. I went to the uh, Army with an Option 40 contract, which is the uh, contract for the Ranger and Doctoration program back then. 
um, or now it's called the Ranger Assessment Selection Program, which allows you the opportunity to go to the Ranger Regiment on the Special Operations side. Uh, so I went through basic airborne school, um, uh, went, got picked up from airborne school. Uh, the coolest thing about that one was, is, uh, we were all standing in a formation off to the side. Uh, they picked us up. Um, well, they showed up in a truck. They didn't really pick anything up and they started yelling at us out the window about how, uh, we're worthless and a whole bunch of, uh, very <laughs> colorful words as we grabbed our gear and made the roughly mile run. Uh, up to the Ranger indoctrination um, regimental headquarters to go get smoked. But uh, I made it through that. Um, and then in uh, was it June, I believe it was June of 2001 is when I uh, got to go ahead and step foot over on uh, Hunter Army Airfield and uh, served with the uh, 1st Ranger Battalion. Um, stayed with them for eight years. Uh, left there, went up to West Point for a while. I was an instructor up there for five years um, and then just kind of moseyed along back down the, the southeast um, till I got to 3rd Infantry Division and then I ended up retiring on the 25th Thanksgiving Day. So I have a lot to be thankful for there um, after 21 years of service. But uh, my main specialties were explosives. I was a master explosive breacher for the Ranger Regiment um, and you know, infantrymen within the Rangers. And then um, I eventually got mid-boarded, and uh, they put me in the Chaplain's Corps. That's how I finished my career out. After uh, 12 years, I, I moved from uh, being 11 Bravo to a 56 Mike. Yeah. So a lot. So let's talk about just on on one of the things there. When when we have some people here that will understand what that is, why don't you tell you what when you talk about being in the Rangers. And uh, as far as Army goes, that's probably one of the higher special operations divisions. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, so when you start looking at special operations, special forces, uh, and all the different little nuances that are out there, uh, we all talk crap about each other nonstop. But at the end of the day, we each have our own little nuances to uh, what we do well. Um, you know, personality-wise, and I mean – you could attest to this one, sir, is uh, I wanted to burn the world to the ground. And uh, the Ranger Regiment was definitely the option for that. Uh, that was a airfield seizure direct action raid organization. And that's what they specialized in. Uh, and it definitely showed uh, through the last two decades of war. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so let's talk about that. How, where did you serve overseas? And how, how long were you away from family when deployed? Uh, so, let's see with the Rangers, I believe, I believe, was it four or five? I can't remember. It's either four or five times each to Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, and the deployments are short. I mean, for us, uh, fortunately, there were uh, 90 deployments. Um, and we'd come back, and then we'd have somewhere between 90 to 180 days to do the entire year's worth of training before we go ahead and get back on the bird, go back overseas and end up in one of those two locations. Uh, since at the time that was our, our two different fronts that we had for the war was uh, Operation Enduring Freedom and Operation Iraqi Freedom. Um, but personally, I enjoyed Iraq way more. Um, just It was a lot more fun. There was no mountains. So I, I'm not a big <laughs> fan of humping up the side of a mountain and freezing. So. Yeah. 
Yeah, I understand. I can understand that. That that's good. So, well, I think you know, I think for those that uh, aren't military or civilian, and um, you know, I think even the ones that are military, they've always been impressed with your record. I've got to personally train with you, and I've got to train you. So this is so people ask uh, uh, quite a bit how our relationship forged, and I think it was forged because uh, we. Uh, uh, Viverka. <laughs> he says more bang bang and boom booms. <laughs> so, you know, you guys have chewed the same dirt, so you know exactly what he's talking about. Um, so, when uh, how I met you, just just and and became a you know a viable part of what AKMF is, especially in the defensive tactics, is you know I got to meet you on base, and um, you know we've got. We got hired to come in and do this. Uh, was it was our first one with the chaplains too? It wasn't right. You kind no, of, you first kind one of... with uh, one sixty assault, which is Special Operations Aviation Regiment. Um, they hired you guys to come on, mm-hmm. and uh, that's when I first met Ben Jackson. So uh, Ben at the time was the combatives instructor for one sixtieth, and uh, he put out a flyer um, that came down to the unit I was working with. And uh, I believe they called it Combat Pistol Krav Maga or something along those lines. And right. it sounded pretty interesting. So I was like, sure, I'll give it a shot and mm-hmm. fell in love with it. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you. So those. So here's the story, guys, if you're online with me and, and, and Joe. So when we first went there and, you know, they usually um, they usually hire us in. And I, you know, my specialty was always kind of gun and, you know, gun retention and gun takeaways and stuff like that. That's kind of my, my thing and just kind of an overall intense energy. But, uh, I remember vividly when we were on base and we're getting ready and I remember telling myself, I'm like, wow, you know, I have some law enforcement experience, but I'm definitely not one of these boys. You know what I mean? And so that kind of weighed on me. I'm like, how am I going to um, get these guys to uh, believe uh, that I have something viable to give them when I haven't chewed the same dirt as they have? You know what I mean? You know, you know how it is, right? You know, I mean, you've been around the block, dude. You've you've been on these civilians, how they've hired some civilians and some just kind of suck. Right. (laughs) And uh, and so, you know, I was concerned about this for sure. And so we go in. And I remember watching you out of the gate, right? You were, you caught my eye. Of course, there was a couple of you, right? I think there was, you know, there's a few of you that was just, just on edge, uh, warriors, badasses, right? And I, and, and you stuck out. And I remember I talked to you a little bit and stuff like that, but I'm like, you know how you can kind of see how the cream rises to the top and kind of who the top dogs are in the class and stuff like that. You know, you, you evaluate that and you, and you go and you go after the alpha, right? And so, I'm like, well, I said, this guy's definitely, I said, if I can make a believer out of him, that which was you, I said, I feel that I should be able to make a believer out of most, right? Absolutely. So, <laughs> so I chose you because I know uh, back then I was a lot heavier too. I wasn't quite in the same shape I am now. You know what I mean? I was heavier back then. And I know the first thing, I, I know this to be a fact, you know, when people first see me, there's like, they're like, there is no way that this guy uh 
can can maneuver or do things right you know what i mean i i I already know this i know this going in so there i had two things to overcome right the the fact that i didn't serve in the military i was only in law enforcement and then i i i you know i have this other obstacle uh because they're going to feel that i'm not in shape so i picked you and i said (laughs) because some people couldn't uh i said people aren't punching very good and then i think i i laid one of those punches into you and uh, one of my one of my punches and it, you know, I could tell in your face, like, wait a minute. Uh, well, yeah, well, when I first saw you, sir, I mean, you were a big old gray haired dude. And I was like, really, what the hell can he bring to the table? And I held that tombstone pad for you. I swear to God, my heart stopped. Um, that's the hardest I've ever been hit in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and so I remember that. And. You know, I was like, and I felt, and I think that's where, you, you know how it is, right? That's where our relationship was forged on mm-hmm. that one, that one particular thing. Because I think after that, once you get the alphas to kind of believe in, in what you're doing, it was easier for me to transfer knowledge from there. And then we just became uh, what we became. And I don't, I don't think there was another class that you weren't at, as a matter of fact. Yeah, um, I tried to make did, it to every last one. Yeah. So I mean, that's how, that's how you and I are. Uh, were brought together and so it's been you know it's it was a pleasure watching you know and 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 training those guys can i think i had these conversations with you i'm like joe i mean i i said you know i didn't serve in the military but and, and you know i asked a lot of advice on from you guys that been out in the field is this is this viable is this what is this do you feel this is what we need and so you've been a a, a very pivotal point in helping us train military. And I want to, you know, I want to personally thank you openly for that because people really don't know the relationship we have mm-hmm. because after in the, in the core, here's the other thing, you know, as we go into the different directions that, you know, you were in there and then there's a chaplain's core and that's where you kind of redirected. I mean, people may not know that you're a man of faith and man of God and you directed yourself into the chaplains. I want to talk about what this is, what that particular core is in the, in the military and, you know, about what chaplains can do and what chaplains assistants are. I think that's a, I think that's a good thing to have a quick talk about. So people understand what's in the battlefield and what a chaplain is and is not allowed to do. Yeah. And they take it real serious by the way. Yeah. Un- unfortunately, um, chaplains are not allowed to carry in any way, shape or form. Um, and, uh, it's really to me a disservice, uh, for them. I mean, they should at least have a pistol on them. Uh, for self-preservation purposes, but uh, Chaplain's Corps itself um, as a whole, it's really the last line of defense um, for the military from a secular standpoint. Um, the U.S. government as a whole has been pushing a very secular approach uh, in the military, uh, trying to take God out of a lot of things, and uh, it's literally the most valuable thing that we have uh, in the military itself is the understanding of, uh, your faith, God, how God plays the bigger picture, um, and what you do. And, you know, for me, the chaplain's Corps it, it has a, a very special place in my heart because uh, I had two chaplains early on when I was still in the Rangers on the 11 series side. And, uh, you know, it was chaplain Dave Bolas, um, who eventually went off to some very uh, unique units uh, to serve and uh, the more specialized the the organization is the more alpha driven um, 
the harder it is, I think it is to serve as a man of God. And uh, he really planted a lot of seeds that uh, I'm not even sure he really got to understand how they were going to grow um, until years later. Uh, and then in 2006, uh, we had a major firefight in Afghanistan. And uh, on that target there, uh, me and my machine gunner were kind of left out in the middle of the open. We had a horrible platoon sergeant there at the time uh, who, instead of allowing the, the squad leaders and the, the individuals that should have been in control of their elements to control, uh, he pulled individuals back, left me and uh, my machine gunner uh, out in the open um, with a whole lot of gunfire going on. So uh, mm. <clears throat> after that night, uh, we had a helicopter that was shot down. It was, a, it was one of the largest firefights that we had. Uh, in Afghanistan, it was the most cast or close air support that was uh, up until that point that was ever fired in combat. Um, and that night, I got to uh, sit down and talk with uh, Chaplain Mark Winton, and that's when I got saved. So I got mm-hmm. saved under him. Um, and then later on, uh, a few years later, that's when I started figuring out the uh, salvation as a whole. Um when you first get saved, you hear about all these new, new age Christians that do this 180. Uh, the 180 is not me. I, I can't go from being what I was to being something else overnight. So I, I kind of view uh, all that stuff being like a uh, battleship, and uh, it takes miles and miles and miles for a battleship to turn around. I'm hoping right. I'm somewhere near the apex at this point in my life, mm-hmm. but uh, I may still not be there yet. But um, well, yeah, well, know. chap, I think we're all a work in progress, especially yes, men sir. like us, for sure. Yes, sir. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so that that to me, with everything that we did in the Ranger Regiment, that I'm sure we'll talk some about later, um, you know, that was a big turning point for me and gave me a whole new respect for the chaplain's corps itself. Um, but with the chaplain assistant, which is now religious affairs specialist, they are supposed to be the ones that kind of fill the gap on the administrative side as well as the tactical side for the chaplains. Um, and some of them do a really good job of it. Some of them take it as it's a, this is an easy job and, um, old chaplains are nice guys and they only push, but so far. So you have some that really excel and come to the top. Uh, you have some that are, well, they steal, steal oxygen to say the least. Um, but that's what the role of religious affairs specialist is supposed to be is to help fill that tactical and administrative gap to allow the chaplain itself to focus on the ministry pieces that the military needs, uh, the most, especially when you start looking at, uh, the stressors that come from combat. Right. So I, you know, and so that's where, you know, our, you know, our relationship got the forge anyway, because then they get a man like you that is, uh, uh, battle tested and, uh, that comes into this core and you you saw a weakness in leadership and and in as far as self-defense goes for thing. I I don't know, just me, me personally. I remember I remember when we first did it and I was thinking to myself, wow, chaplain's assistance. That means you are the one uh, protecting God's warrior. You know what I mean? I just yeah. I, it just felt like a bigger responsibility than what most of them took it as. As a matter of fact, Every time we did a course, I'm like, man, the chaplains are tougher than any of the chaplain's assistants. Okay. I was like, you remember we had this conversation. I'm like, what is the deal, man? I, I mean, 
in in battle it would be switched these these chaplains would be protecting these guys that they're supposed to be protecting I, I, I and I know it you know I could just feel it you know how seriously they took training and everything else you know so that was quite a quite eye-opening to say the least you know what I mean and uh so well, a, lot, a lot of I, it's the army's fault is how they sell sell the organization um you know you sell the infantry you sell the uh you know ranger regiment as you want to go jump into combat burn the world to the ground and come back with a whole bunch of cool guy war stories well that's an easy sell um, mm-hmm. The Chaplain's Corps, uh, sadly enough, is, is brief the exact opposite. Um, most of your recruiters be like, hey, if, if you just want kind of an administrative, easier job, well, this is a good fit for you over here. Yeah. So it's, and, it's just I, so it, poorly. Right. But unfortunately, they still go to war. You know what I mean? Very true. So, you know, you're, you talk on one side, but you're still doing war shit on the other side. You know, I, I don't know. It just... It, it was it was it was great. I mean, I'm glad that we got to be able to uh, listen uh, because of you and doing this kind of stuff. I mean, we found some holes in the game, even on some of our 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 weapon training. Right. I mean, I was like, wow, we remember that. I mean, you remember that one time. Right. I was like, man, I really have to we have to evaluate here. What's up? You know what I mean? Yes, and sir. Uh, we changed. We changed some stuff because of you having us in there and and trying to you know, protect people that are going to war. So, you know, that, you know, I do thank you for that. So, so the, the Ranger Regiment, we're going to talk about a little bit, you know, cause I think that, you know how it is, right? Uh, well, back in the day, I guess my old man, gray haired days is, uh, I'm so going to smoke you when I come out there, bro. Okay. You and I are going to, we're going to have a little bit of a go now, dude. Last time, you know, you may have had a little bit upper hand next this time. It's going to be a little different. Okay. Uh, so, uh, we're, you know, you know, you see the big green berets and the whole nine yards from the, uh, you know, John Wayne days and, and what that looks like. Why don't you walk us through, man? Why don't you give us some pivotal moments in both your career or moments that you've made some decisions? Because I'm not sure people really understand a man like yourself on how much, uh, you were away from your family right on deployments and what you missed and uh having a wife there you know uh, you know i'm sure you know she's still right there by your side but i'm sure there's still moments in marriage and and in military are, are are a rough life i would imagine so um why don't you talk about back in your 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 ranger regiments and some of these key points for yourself let's 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 double down that road real quick well i I think if I look back, uh, there's probably two individuals that um, really shaped me overall long term as far as uh, in the Ranger Regiment itself and then just as a leader, period. Uh, And uh, the first one would have been um, now Master Sergeant retired, but back then he was a Sergeant First Class, um, Van Cleave. And I was very fortunate. We still stay in contact now. Um, But he was one of the ones that, early on in training um, where you're young, you're just, you're full of hate, piss and vinegar. And um, you know, you just fueled by that, that caffeine whiskey and, you know, hate. Um, he kind of just helped shape it, uh, give it direction, you know, what a leader's supposed to do, provide purpose, direction and motivation. 
he did those things for me and, and started really talking to me a bunch. Uh, and, you know, kind of like our relationship uh, early on, um, you know, he, he was kind of the same way for me, um, essentially like a father figure within the Ranger Regiment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, his, his position itself was a platoon sergeant. But um, when we first started going overseas, uh, you know, he, he was there um Afghanistan and uh, in Iraq and uh early on in you know both both facets of the war especially Afghanistan we started seeing individuals when we go down the roads uh you watch you know females with their faces just almost melted off um you know, you see just young girls getting beat um and how they just treated uh you know, men and our women and children uh, as second class citizens. And then you start going on target. And the first time that I had ever walked into a room, we were doing room clearing. um, And I saw some dude just raping a little boy. And I found out back then that in that everyone claims it's the culture, but um, you know, anyways, in that, that area of the world, little boys are viewed for pleasure and women are viewed for uh, reproduction. And uh, I, the shock and kind of like horror, I guess at the end of the day, cause it's just not how I was raised and you're supposed to protect women and children at all costs, not, uh, you, you know, um, you know, rape them. So, uh, I started getting really angry on target, uh, and Van Cleve kind of, instead of me just being kind of a wild man on target, uh, he really helped focus it. Uh, he made sure that I was a lead guy in a lot of the doors. Um, and then, you know, just always told me when you go in there, that's your opportunity to be a madman. As soon as the you go ahead and the target itself is secure, you have to come back to normal. You have to be able to flick that switch on and off, um, take all that hate and rage that you have, and then just really channel it uh, in the right areas. And, um, you know, he gave me that opportunity because that was one of the nice things with the Ranger Regiment. Unlike uh, a lot of the conventional guys, that we get stuck over there for 12 months and have just an immense amount of downtime in between. Uh, when we went over there, um, you know, they, they utilized us to our maximum capability. And every night we were on target unless it was uh, some type of like brownout type storm. Um, but we were on target nonstop. So I always had the ability to come back kind of uh, recoup, um, go hit the weight room and then go straight back out there. And, you know, get to be me and, you know, unleash the hate um, on target. And uh, it was just it was a great experience, but it it starts to uh, wear at you for a while because you you hear a lot of people talk about sheepdogs and uh, the the role, the military and law enforcement as sheepdogs. And that's not the role of the the Ranger Regiment. Um, When you have wolves, uh, sometimes it takes wolves to go out and hunt. And, um, you know, that was kind of the, the thing I really noticed. And that's one of the things Van Cleve, uh, explained to me is that, uh, we are not like the others and, uh, you need to understand that, um, you need to understand how to hone that. And then, uh, when you're on target, you need to understand how to release that. Um, the other thing Van Cleve really taught me a lot. Um, and I mean, it, it holds true now is, uh, that man probably had more injuries than anybody I've met, even me at this point. And that man rangered on, um, from objective to objective with bad ankles, back, neck, 
you could think of it, it was completely blown out. And uh, no matter how bad it hurts, um, you know, the thing he explained to me was on target, doesn't matter if you're missing a limb, if you're shot, if you're wounded, if you smash your face in, whatever it might be, um, you are never a liability. And if you're ever going to be a liability, you need to go ahead and hang it up at that moment. Um, and it, it just gives you that that uh, drive at the end of the day that, you know, failure is never an option. Failure happens, but it's not an option. And, uh, you know, he was kind of the first one to, to shape all of that, you know, early on, especially with the room clearing stuff. Um, you know, I, I still miss that. That's, that's the biggest high I've ever had in my life was not knowing what's on the other side of the door and to be able to go ahead and pass through that um, and then just see what you – see what you had with the cards dealt and then uh mm-hmm. you know show them what hell and fury looked like um but as i progressed with rank uh eventually made it to uh e5 e6 and when i uh, e6 is when i probably had the the biggest experience uh learning wise um as a squad leader it was my first um live fire exercise that i had ever done at the time, we had a first sergeant um, who unfortunately just passed away this past week. Um, his name was uh, First Sergeant Charles Serenero. Um, everyone calls him Sal. Uh, eventually, he retired as a command sergeant major and passed away last week on us from uh, lung cancer. But um, he, without a doubt, I think taught me the greatest uh, leadership lesson out there, uh, that success itself is not yours, um, but in those who you lead. If you provide the purpose, direction, motivation, and resources to your rangers, they'll succeed at anything because failure is never an option. Um, And you will succeed because of their successes, not of your own. It's really about how you develop those that are below you. Um, And that, but failure, uh, failure as a whole, solely um, at the end of the day, relies, not relies, but solely is yours as a leader. So, um, where I learned all this was I had two brand new, uh, team leaders at the time. One is named Josh Kilgore. He went off to do some phenomenal things, uh, as far as, uh, elevating himself to a particular tier within the, the military. Uh, and from what I understand, he's still doing great things over there. And then I had another individual named, uh, Wade Wassenberg, um, who uh, unfortunately passed away from a tumor years ago in the brain. And uh, these two individuals, I was, uh, as a squad leader, when you go hit a target for a live fire exercise and you're taking down the objective, you have two teams that are going down that are shaping some type of L-shaped ambush, getting black side or backside security. And one element is main uh, moving up to the the, uh, breach point itself. So I was with the machine gun team up on the hill. And before I had called off anything at all, um, I looked down in the valley or the little um, uh, draw that we had, and there was uh, Josh Kilgore with his entire uh, fire team low crawling towards the objective in the middle of the open that we were just shooting over. And then I look off to the other side, and there's Wade Wassenberg and his entire fire team running down the hillside, not at all Hmm. to plan, uh, and I was losing my shit. (laughs) because <laughs> um, I mean, I'm being evaluated on this one and uh, here these guys are doing nothing that we're supposed to um, but we ended up <laughs> calling a ceasefire on that the guys went through and they, they finished the clear 
And then I got pulled off to the side by uh, Charles Serenero and uh, first art and stuff at the time. And he just asked me, what the hell is going on here? And the first thing I did, which is a horrible thing to do, was go ahead and be like, well, Kilgore did this and Wassenberg did this. And he just stopped <laughs> me right there. He's like, no, they didn't do anything. You failed. <laughs> and that's when he really started talking about how, you, as a leader, um, you know, your successes ride on them 100%. If you're successful, it's because those mm-hmm. individuals are successful. It's because you provided the, the purpose, direction, motivation, and resources for them to go ahead and accomplish those tasks. But if they fall short at all, somewhere in there, whether it's your planning, your communication, your direction, motivation, you lack the resources as a leader, you have to own that as a man and as a leader um, and that you can never be a liability to them. And then you have to be able to go back and take that that learning moment right there, that failure that you had and dissect it and not be nice about it. It can't be well, Kilgore did this or Wassenberg did this. <laughs> it is how did I fail them? And mm-hmm. every which facet I could possibly go ahead and dissect that. And um, like I know for Carson right now, uh, if he's here listening, um, he probably hates that about me when it comes down to pool of karate as an organization because we could have the best event ever. And I literally will come back and be like, all right, we did some great things. That's, that's fine. Let's go back, look at the failures. All I care right. about are the failures. <laughs> How do I go ahead and dissect failures? Um, so, you know, it's, that was a well, big learn, learning opportunity, learning moment for me from, uh, you know, uh, Sergeant Major Sal was, you know, that, that leadership piece, how important that is, and really understanding that your successes are not yours. It, they're built off of your subordinates. Yeah, it's super. Um, yeah, those are that. What a super segment that you just did right there. Uh, because any of you higher end military guys that I I know of, um, you know, you, I've I've heard the same. It, it's so hard because you guys get to learn real life lessons in a war, right, or in scenarios of where life is life and death is put on the line on your leadership, right? Yes, sir. And isn't it funny how it's, it's so easy to transfer, right? Um, yeah, it's very easy elsewhere to Instead of take yeah. ownership, right? And hey, listen, even in my, even in my, in, in the career that I do here, and it wasn't until I learned how to have some ownership myself and, you know, and I'm not, sometimes I'm not, even, even my leadership skills are, you know, I'm always looking to better my leadership skills anyway on what that looks like, but it drives me crazy when, um, whether it's school owners or, or whatever, when you have uh, experience on your side and you say, look at man, it, it, this, these are areas that need to be addressed and, you know, oh, you know, Oh, people aren't allowing me to uh, express my views or they can't, you know, it's, it's always somebody else. It's never uh, a, a look in the mirror and say, and an evaluation of, of self. Right. And it, yes, and it, it, right. And I don't know about, but, you know, listening to your, your, what you, what you've learned in battle from leadership, most military guys that, you know, this is what I get mostly from you guys is you guys have put it out there on the line and there is no, there is no gray area when, uh, when, when your men are, are 
are being fired upon and it's your leadership is going to make get them through and how you project your leadership onto them so that they can project down you know down down rank right and so i don't know that was really an awesome uh, listening to you talk about that and just um you know it explains a lot about your leadership you know and having somebody like yourself that's going to evaluate a situation and say you know i think i come to you quite often after after those i say what do you think was good what do you think was bad i mean we've had these conversations uh quite often because every time i do something you know how do we make this better or how do we uh, uh approach this particular thing so that it's so that we can um you know evaluate you know yes, what i'm sir. saying so I just, uh, I think that's, I think, I don't know. I think that's another time for us, Chappie, where we speak just on leadership. I think it would be good probably to get, I'd like to have yourself, like yourself, Viverka, uh, you know, uh, we have another one, Rod, another one of our guys, and just talk about leadership. Uh, uh, you know, we all get together on, on one podcast and we and we speak on leadership and what was learned in leadership. I think you guys have valuable lessons that come to the table. Whether people want to listen to them or not, that's on them. You know what I mean? If you're going to be a leader in anything, like if you're going to own a martial arts school and you've got guys and peers above you and you're not going to listen to what they have to say uh, when they've done that, when they've done due diligence, then that's on you. There's just nothing mm-hmm. that's going to, that's going to come about. So, um, you know, and so taking, you know, I've got to, and you're super, uh, you know, I'm, you're super organized dude, right? So when we work together, you know, I'm kind of the visionary guy, you know what I mean? Yes, and sir. I'm, I'm kind of the guy that likes to be in the trenches doing the, doing the training parts, right? Doing the, Hey, are you doing this right? Are you teaching this properly? Are you able to communicate this to this group and, and to get them to do it? So, you know, and I, so I see now why you feed off it just a short talk. I mean, why you always feed off me when I come out there, you know, okay. What, because you're always asking me, dude. You, you're the one of the only ones that do come to me and say, "Hey, what kind of evaluation? What do you think on this?" And uh, I don't know. You take it on the chin quite often, you know. You know, and say that you know when I when I when I give you feedback, you take it for what it is, and and uh, and you know, I appreciate that. I think I think that just shows just the leadership skills that you have. So. Well, sir, um, I really do wish I was taking it on the chin, but every time you come out, it seems like I take it to the nuts. That's <laughs> well, you know, you know why I do that. I just I want to test to see how mad I can get you because it's so funny to get you so angry and you're so angry and then you can't do anything with your anger. That's the funny part of it. That's what gets me going the most, you know, and, uh, you know, <laughs> Fortner puts out there true. Um, <laughs> You know, listen, the time I hit you with the stick, that was an accident. And it's not my fault. You don't wear a cup. That was a metal cane, sir. But did you wear a cup to class? I did not. Okay. (laughs) So we have to take extreme ownership (laughs) and find out where the where where the breakdown in that happened. And that wasn't because I have lack of control. It's because you had lack of. Uh, uh, of equipment, <laughs> yes, you know, <laughs> so there, <laughs> and you know, and that's pinpoint accuracy for me to hit you in the groin with that. It is stick. aim small, okay. miss small. <laughs> that's right. That's correct. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. Your leadership dude is, is, is off the chain, man. It's, it's, uh, 
it's it's you know we're a, it's a blessing to have you uh you know part of part of what we are you know i've been enjoying that you guys that don't know i've watched <laughs> so i'll give you some stories of chappy that's so funny so we do an active shooter and you know having him be the active shooter really sucks okay because he's not like your average active shooter like you know they're shooting up the mall they don't know what they're doing he's the one that can come in the room and kill everybody in the room and we're doing active shooter drills. And so we've done active shooter and we've got the scenario and here comes Chappie, the active shooter. And just so you guys know, I watched him try people trying to get him down, you know, you know, go for the legs and stuff. He flies through the air while he's <laughs> taking his magazine one out and putting the other one in in midair and then shooting the ones that are coming after him. I told him, I said, I'm not using you for active shooter anymore. Okay. You're just, it's like an unfair advantage. All right. It's like, uh, you know, it's like, you know, to have him defend against Batman. You know what I mean? So uh, it was, th- those have just been some funny times on, on what it is. And I don't know. That's the other thing. I mean, your, your shooting is off the, you know, off the chart. Um, uh, it, you know, that's another uh, facet of you in your military training, I guess, is your firearms. I mean, you, that's something that you guys have out there in, in Pooler also that you have a firearms division now that you're out getting to be able to use your training for civilians to keep them safe. Number one, and, uh, you know, keeping them safe first and then how to properly use a firearm. You know what I'm saying? And I'm sure that you've seen, uh, I'm sure that we agree, guys that enjoy firearms and carry and know that everybody should not carry a firearm. Uh, correct? Absolutely, I mean, sir. Yeah. I mean, if you don't train with a firearm consistently um, and work from the draw and understanding that uh, it's only dangerous for the muzzle. And at the end of the day, that carrying a pistol does not mean that you're going to be equal to your opponent. In any way, shape, or form, because uh, it's a projectile weapon. If you are not at projectile range, it is an absolutely useless piece of equipment. Mm, yes, I, I, I agree. That's a whole other podcast that we can speak about when it comes to firearms, because I think everybody just thinks, oh, you know, uh, you know, right wing nutbags that want firearms. You know, that's just not the case. You know what I mean? Uh, that's just not the case, and it's it's such misinformation on what we can speak about on that, you know, uh, it's just, you know, just you're, you know, you're just, you're full of information as far as leadership goes, dude. I, I, I thoroughly enjoy all that. I think your guys' military experience, it puts you into a real world. And, uh, I mean, what gravitated you towards Krav, dude? What, what made you decide, Hey, I, you know, cause I remember the conversation you said, Hey, I'm going to be a black belt in this one day. So, you know, what made that, change and turn for you so early on in the rangers obviously uh, you know i was 10 feet tall bulletproof that's why i joined there um i was told early on uh, with a the recruiter they showed me a cool guy video of guys jumping out of planes blowing stuff up and literally trying to burn the world to the ground and i was like that is exactly what i want to be well when you start getting overseas um and going from room to room to room and Every once in a while, you get somebody who really does want to fight back, um, and they wrap you up, and you don't have answers. 
you know, violence is always the answer when in doubt, but, um, sometimes technique really makes a big difference for you in understanding how to bridge that gap. So the back then the modern army combatives program, um, I was not a big fan of, at least in how it was taught, uh, which I don't believe was ever the intent of the founder of the program, which was uh, Matt Larson. And uh, mm-hmm. if you follow Combatives Association or anything like that, uh, you'll see Matt Larson on there a lot. Um, very, very smart individual, um, very tactically sound. But the way the program was delivered to me wasn't by somebody of his caliber. The program was delivered to me by somebody who – uh, did the bare minimum to get by and check the block and thought he was a MMA uh, badass. So we're sitting there doing arm bars <laughs> on the ground in full kit. And I'm like, this is stupid. Why would I ever do an arm bar on the right. ground? This is just makes no sense at all. And I just, from that point forward, I was like, jujitsu has no place in the combatives world. That's how I, I truly felt. Um, and it wasn't until years later because I, I took a course called Vanguard um, up in Chicago. That was a phenomenal course. It really started to go ahead and show um, some weapons disarm techniques and just weapons retention was their main focus. Um, and that was a, a good course for me to go to, but there was still a lot of gaps that we had. And then I took Krav for the first time, and Krav started filling in a lot of gaps for me. I'm like, this makes way too much sense. Like something as simple as always being taught growing up, fight fair. Um, uh, I think that's a good basic principle that I think most parents want is to always, you know, be fair in what you do. Uh, but there's nothing about being fair and fighting. And when you started talking about cracking people in the nuts, that was a game changer. I'm like, why did I wait so long? <laughs> um, and then Ben Jackson, uh, did a course called, uh, SOC P, which is special operations combatants program. And he's the one that introduced me to that. And that, that bridged the, the gaps that I thought were within, um, Krav, um, with the jujitsu side, but I still didn't fully understand the, the, um, really how it all played together yet until Ben, got me set up with uh, Greg Thompson and Greg Thompson. Uh, I believe he's one of the first black belts on the East coast. Um, but he does a lot within the special operations community and he is the founder of sock P. So I, I was very, very fortunate to be able to go up there and spend two weeks working with Greg. And by the end of two weeks, I finally had the epiphany that jujitsu has a very significant place within, within combat. And his role wasn't, teaching us anything at all about the striking um he taught us so much on framing the retention of our weapon and movement and understanding movement of the body breaking down the body so when you're sitting there in full kit how does all that start to affect you and really play uh, play to the bigger picture of the end state outcome because we're trying to get back to our tools our firearms um mm-hmm. for work and um then after that course i came back and i took your um back-to-back level one level two uh krav course and that's when it finally all clicked i, I saw both sides from uh, the aspects of jujitsu what jujitsu really had to offer from a stand-up point um with just understanding the body how the body works moves and um how that affects me within combat and then the violence aspect which is probably really what drove me the most to krav and my love for it is 
uh, I get to be me in this art. Unlike any other art that's out there where there's a lot of formality to it, um, this is right up my alley. Uh, I mean, we get to remove a lot of the, um, I guess, tradition, uh, traditional stuff that comes with all the other martial arts, and I get to kind of focus on the areas that are um, one most violent and uh, most effective for the environment that I was uh, focused on working in. Um, Cause when you look at it, I'd probably say you look at any um, traditional martial art, it doesn't have a very good way of transitioning into urban operations environment. When you start bringing guns into play, Krav Maga filled all of that. They it answered so many questions for me. And that's one of the big reasons why uh, when I had the opportunity, uh, I did everything I could to bring the Chaplain's Corps um, over to see you guys and help bridge the gaps for a lot of those individuals and understanding movement um, of having that, that third-party individual. How do you move them? How does all this start to, to come into play? How do we control individuals? And then how do we utilize our tools that we have on us to uh, you know, maximize our opportunities? Yeah, that's definitely, yeah, definitely, I, I, you know, we've had this to talk to, this is, you know, I, I've talked about traditional martial arts for a long time, and this is my, and you know, my base is, is Tong Sudo and how much I loved it, you know what I mean? Uh, I trained hard, even in traditional martial arts, I was always kind of the, if you ever read all my test papers, you know, why are you wrestling? Why are you taking people to the ground? Why are you, you're, uh, you're too aggressive, and, uh, you know, I, I listen, <laughs> like, I was mini chappy, trust me, uh, with, with, without the firearms experience. And, uh, you know, I did a lot of this and I and I looked at the weaknesses of traditional martial arts, especially in the self-defense aspect of things. And I was like, man, this sucks. And I really didn't want anything to do with Krav. I mean, I heard a lot about it, but it wasn't until I went and did a gun seminar. I've told you this story before. And those that are just first listening, it wasn't until I took a gun seminar in, a, in, a, in an eight hour in an eight hour scenario, uh, seminar. And you got guys with an experience like me, and then you got guys inexperienced at the. We left that place, and both both gaps could at least, if a gun was pointed in your face, be able to defend yourself. And I was like, I was really taken by that. Going, I've wasted I've wasted all this time on all these black belts that I have that could never take a gun away from the face. Now, back in the '80s, you know, it wasn't prevalent to be. Uh, you know, guns in your face and that kind of you know, warfare. Today's world, I'm telling my junior high and my high school kids when, when my kids were that age on how to deal with active shooters and, and how to keep yourself safe. I mean, these are these are things that I talk to my children about on the way to school. I mean, I, so, you know, I can see I can't just see that we're just weak all the time. It's just as if you don't if you don't kind of uh, adhere to the times, you're going to you're going to fail and you're going to fall backwards and you're going to stay stagnant. I guess it's a good relationship to all of our senators that are 70, 80 years old and can, doesn't even know how to use an email today, right? But they're running our country, that kind of stupid shit like that. But, um, you know, for sure that, uh, uh, you know, just, you know, listening to that, and, and this is what I believe bridged the gap between traditional martial arts, and it wasn't that the techniques are a lot different outside of gun, knife, and stick, but, you know, it's, the, it's how you deliver. It's how yes. your, your intent you know, your 
for those that always hear me speak about a worthy opponent, this is something that you brought to the table when I was, remember that time I was coming out there and I was kind of sick, but I was taking the sock pee that you were teaching. Mm-hmm. And then I was teaching gun on the second half, remember? And I wasn't feeling good that day. That's when I got those blood clots, you know what I mean? Yes, sir. And so, uh, but taking your course on the sock P and you talking about, this is Joe, the one that talks about the worthy opponent and who better than a battle-tested warrior that talks about a worthy opponent because when someone's trying to kill you, I would, I guess that would gather as a worthy opponent. Um uh, I don't know how worthy it was after you got done with him, but um, <laughs> definitely but that mindset, you. yes, but that mindset <laughs> of we train for those that are better because somebody out there is training better than what we are and how you can't be fair. And I speak often about being older like myself. Listen, I'm not I'm not interested in being in a dogfight. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm interested in, in, in ending things really quickly and, and being able to go home and, you know, not not deal with injuries. So. You know, so we there's definitely a uh, uh, a similarity there. So I mean, those are those are all really good. You know, as I'm listening to you speak and and uh, know that we are on the right on the right path of getting people safe and having strong leadership in the in the process of doing it. I, I couldn't be more proud of uh, the culture that we are building in this AKMF community where we are. Um, you know, we, we take our techniques serious and, and they're battle tested. I mean, you can attest, correct? Do we not, do we not sim train and fire train our techniques to see? And listen, we do the same thing here. And I'm going to tell you something gun from behind. If you do not do that technique, right. You are getting shot. So if you are, if you are a teacher and you guys are teaching Krav Maga and you're teaching these gun stuff and you're not doing it for real to see if this really is redirecting and stuff like that, you are doing your, your, your students a disservice. Okay. And, um, Absolutely. If, because I don't care what anybody says, you get shot a couple times with one of those sim rounds, your technique gets really good, really fast. Okay. <laughs> uh, because you're just not taking it that much. You know what I mean? So. You know, that was some really good feedback. So, I mean, I can't believe we're at 53 minutes already, but I want to talk about, so this, so we hear this hardcore war charger, you know, Joey, the chap, Chappy, we call you, so everybody knows we call him Chappy because he was in the chaplain's corps and that's just his nickname. That's, that's what, that's what we, uh, that's his nickname. That's it. That's where it comes from. But um, you also have a special needs daughter. So there's, this, all this warrior side, you need to see the other side of the softy that he is uh, when it comes to uh, his daughter, Jax. And, uh, and just you take that same leadership that you have, that same mindset that you have, and I, and, and I see you put it into your daughter. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I'll let you talk about her a little bit in, in what you deal with um, on a daily, you know. It's probably sometimes that's probably harder than war, I would imagine. Okay, because it's just there's nothing that you can do, especially when she's having um, seizures and stuff like that. So let's let's talk about Jack's a little bit and how you deal with that. So Jack is uh, 13 now, um, and honestly, uh, I'd say all the credit that for Jack's success is uh, Kelly, because. Um, one of the things Kelly and I talked about early on was um, 
as far as how we see family, you know, it's a father and a mother, and my job is to provide and protect. Her job is to nurture. And for her to do her job correctly means that she needs to be a stay-at-home mom, especially with a special needs uh, child. So um, I've worked in different locations uh, just because military does not pay bad and at all i mean it's 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 a good living but uh when you move to west point um that is the most expensive place i've ever lived in my life and for me to go ahead and make ends meet up there uh i was working uh extra jobs and working a lot of hours uh cutting trees just to make sure that kelly could be be home with jacqueline um but early on when jacqueline was first born um we noticed that she was having seizures right at birth um, and then she was put into the NICU for like 14 days, 10 or 14 days. Um, after that, uh, we ended up PCS in our move and permanent change of station, uh, from that point up to West point right after within a few weeks of her being born. So, uh, Kelly was not impressed at all with that, uh, that timing with the uh, military move and, uh, everything that was involved in that. Um, New York was a huge blessing being up there at West Point because of the, the special needs community and uh, resources up there. Uh, but one of the things Kelly noticed, uh, you know, with it being a, our first child, I, I didn't really know what to expect on anything. I had never really paid much attention to how long it should take a kid to walk or take a first step or any, anything along those lines. So uh, Kelly started noticing uh, some major deficiencies um, and really started to go after the resources while we were, we were up there to go ahead and make it to where Jacqueline would start to perform. Um, when Jacqueline was first born, we were told that she was going to be a We still there? Or did I lose yeah, you're you still here, sir. Go ahead. Hello? You still there, Mark? I'm here. I'm here, sir. I lost something. I can hear you. You still there, Mark? Uh-oh. I'm here, sir. Can you see me? It's got to be on your end, chap. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Chappy chap. Stand by. We'll get him. Let's see. Can my everything here is working? I can hear you, sir. You there? I'm here, Chappie. And Chappie's gone. We'll see if he comes back, guys. So let me tell you a little bit why we're waiting for Chap if he comes back online with me. And okay, I'll put him back on. But he does have a special needs daughter named uh, Jack. She's super sweet, by the way. I mean, I love going to see her and stuff like that. But what I was trying to get at is watching a a warrior like himself uh let me see here he comes back in let me see if i can add him to the stream you back on chappy can you hear me um, yeah i'm back on okay so he's back guys so i was just talking off 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 camera with him just about about your daughter so go ahead and, and finish up your story with her sir uh anyways uh kelly kind of she was supposed to be deaf dumb and blind was the initial um you know thing the doctor had told us so anything obviously beyond that point is just uh phenomenal and, um, you know, Jacqueline's uh, surpassed all expectations at that point. Um, she is very stubborn. Uh, I like to say that's from Kelly. 
Um, but uh, she's extremely stubborn. Yeah, because you have does, none. You have none of that trait. Okay. Not at all. I'm, I'm very easy to get along okay. with. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. Go ahead. Anyway. Okay. Um, but as we bounced around, um, you know, the special needs groups and everything that have been there, uh, some of them have been really good. Some of them have been extremely poor, uh, especially Chatham County, Georgia. Um, their ability to go ahead and deal with a special needs program is um, piss poor, to say the least with resources and how they, they structure stuff. So uh, Kelly, a couple of years ago, decided to go ahead, pull everybody out and um, start homeschool. And we've seen just uh, the, the benefits to it have uh, far outweighed any, um, uh, any heartache on our end. But it really was, uh, wasn't until we started doing the special kicks program, which was started by Carson Fortner. Um, that we saw mm-hmm. the, the biggest uh, change in her. Um, she went from somebody that did not like being touched at all, um, could not handle like her brother laying on top of her, holding her down. She would freak out. Um, and she started jujitsu, which I, I was shocked by. Stoked, but very shocked. Um, and we started seeing just a, a huge change in um, her social skills and just – uh, her OT and PT um, was just uh, leaps and bounds uh, improving. Um, and then shortly after that, we started having uh, seizures again. And the seizures we were seeing, um, they never happened when I was around. It would always be on Kelly. Kelly would be right. mm-hmm. somewhere. I'd be doing something stupid for Uncle Sam and be stuck in the field or somewhere. Um and then I would get a phone call saying that Jacqueline's having a grand mal seizure. Um, and, you know, I'd try to rush home as quickly as I could. Uh, we've had some really great neighbors who'd be able to watch the kids um, when the ambulance would arrive. And Kelly was able to go to the hospital and kind of take care of things. Um, but, you know, for, for Kelly, I, I really haven't seen almost any of the, the issues because I'm always at work. Um, or any of the seizures, uh, I would see these little fainting spells here and there. Um, but the, the bulk of all that burden has been left on Kelly the entire time. And she's done a phenomenal job kind of with the, the process of ensuring Jacqueline gets the right care and, uh, medication. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point when they changed the medication, she started having, uh, this major rash, uh, pop out on her. And at one point, they thought it might be that Steven Johnson syndrome, um, which is where uh, you essentially start to burn your skin. Uh, That's exactly what we thought John had, too. They just looked at him for Vercus, same exact thing. Yeah, and it's a rough thing to, to see. And then uh, they changed her medication. Hers, fortunately, was a medication issue that she had an allergic reaction. So uh, when they changed the medication, it, it uh, definitely helped some. Um, but she she's been changing medications on and off the last couple of years uh, as she hits puberty, hormone changes and um, everything else. And she starts getting a little attitude of being a, um, you know, <laughs> teenage girl. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, at this point here, I think Kelly's got everything well figured out uh, medication wise. I couldn't even tell you what meds she's on right now. I just know it's some liquid bottle thing that costs like five grand. Um, <laughs> and, uh, Jacqueline's responding extremely well. I mean, she's happy. 
Um, but it's definitely uh, it takes a toll on the family as a whole um, when she's having those type of stressors, um, especially when Mama's having all those uh, stressors of watching her baby go ahead, collapse, fall down the stairs because Jacqueline's fell down the stairs before with a seizure and just came tumbling to the bottom. Um, you know, that takes a, a big toll on the family. And uh, military-wise, uh, most people I know that have special needs children in the military, I mean, it's hard enough being married in the military and deploying a bunch and always being gone. But when you start adding that additional stressor of a, um, a special needs child, um, it's, it's almost unheard of that families stay together as long as uh, we have. So it just kind of is a testament to, um, fortunately, Kelly is uh, more stubborn than I am stupid. And uh, she has stuck it out for oh. now, coming up on 18 years. But <laughs> yeah, she's a, she's definitely a warrior, dude. She, your 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 wife is a uh, yeah, she's definitely a warrior because it's hard, man. When I, you know, I've gotten to know Jax now. You know, she's she's you know, uh, you know, her and I are pretty tight when I come down there. You know what I mean? And uh, and That's even you don't when get I've to seen see it, the I angry was, Jack, you just get to see happy Jack. He, <laughs> yeah, that's right. She's happy around me, dude. She's not, you know, I don't make her angry like yourself. Uh, so, uh, uh, you know, I buy stuff from her. See, that's how she loves me because I say, make me something and I'll buy it. And see, so I buy her love. You see gotcha. what I'm saying? So, <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, it's hard on me too. I've seen it a couple of times, even at the studio. I mean, I'm like a, I'm like, man, how the, how in the heck are you dealing with that every single time? You know what I mean? Uh, so uh, it's 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 been something to see, you know, a, a seasoned warrior. And right when our kids are hurting and we can't do much, it's just that does that does take a toll. And, you know, we'll end with. Is I'm sure that the special needs that Carson has brought to the table has probably been life changing it's been life changing for so many people. I mean, I don't really think you know how Carson is. No, he doesn't really take the acclimates for himself on what that looks like. You know what I mean? And what it's so natural for him. You know, they call him the autistic whisperer. You know what I mean? Uh, it's just so natural for him. And and Matthew has that other. You know, he's kind of has that same thing. It's just it's so natural for them to be in the environment with them and to see the environment that he's. Um, that he's able to have, uh, is, is phenomenal, you know, uh, to see at that school and having a safe space for special needs to be able to come to a martial arts school and you see kids all rally around it. I mean, come on, man. You, you see when Austin's doing his stuff like that, or Jax is out there getting her new stripe, the, the push for the special needs to be able to excel is by far one of the most awesome things to see and I've always enjoyed. So I'm sure the martial arts school has meant the world to you guys just for her purposes only, you know what I mean? And, uh, Carson's done a ton for us as a whole. I mean, um, everything from him at the end of the day, the reason I'm here at pool of karate is, uh, Carson pursued me. I didn't pursue him. He started coming out and say, you know, just befriended me as a whole, and bring me on board, get me to start training. Um, I fell in love with everything that the school had to offer, and it, it's it's hard to find a uh, a solid Christian man that is not a beta. Um, 
So it, it was uh, definitely a, a big draw to be right there. And then from there, that's the biggest compliment you just gave Carson that he's not a beta. <laughs> but from there, it just kind of uh, flutters to a point now where um, I, I'm retired out of the military. I never in my wildest dreams imagined I'd be a martial arts instructor. I totally thought I'd be a cop um, and just be miserable. Um, right. But. <laughs> trust me today is not the day to wear the badge not at all okay uh, yeah and then now my wife works here i mean it she helps out with the uh the kids jiu-jitsu program and uh this place has uh done just wonders for the family the fact that we can both work and be around each other as much as possible uh and try to make up for a lot of lost time with uh me always being gone well, we're approaching a minute seven. Here's how I want to end today. I want you to end with the same speech that you told when you just got retired. What was the rank that you retired at, by the way? <laughs> I retired as a, a master sergeant. So we're going to end with exactly what you said on stage uh, to end your <laughs> your last award. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> because it's, And you know why I'm asking for it. Because yes, first of all, it's all true as can be. And I still cannot believe one of the commanding officers came up and said, man, it's a little rough that you shouldn't have said that at a army retirement on one of the, what was the award that you got? Cause it's one of the most elite awards ever. So that, um, as, as a master sergeant, it's not normal to uh, receive a Legion of merit. And, uh, that is what I received as uh, my retirement award was a Legion of merit. Um, so I was very grateful. The individual that wrote that and pushed it uh, from start to finish was uh, Chaplain Bill Robinson, and uh, I cannot thank him enough for that. But yeah, I was I was kind of shocked that uh, one they had us in civilian clothes receiving an award. Right, so weird, <clears throat> dude. To me, I'm like, yeah. when what is going on? Yeah, so, and then they weren't happy with how I, I spoke to the troops. And uh, I guess what you wanted to hear was uh, hard times make hard men. Hard men make good times. Good times make weak men. And weak men make hard times. Don't be weak. Find that, that thing that drives you forward. And uh, that was enough to go ahead and uh, you know, turn the stomachs of uh, some leaders. Which just kind of not me, dude. I was pumped, man. I was down there going, "Let's get some," right? And then, then for me that watch that, I'm like, that "Commander did not just come up and say something to him." Yeah. And uh, uh, so, but what a true statement that is. I'll, I'll make sure that I write that. I, I'm not sure who the original person that that talked about that. I mean, who's the original that that has I, that? Do you know? I don't know, sir. I, I yeah. heard about this years and years ago. Mm -hmm. We had a uh, first sergeant named uh, Sergeant Major H, um, and or first sergeant H, and uh, he talked about that. He also talked about when the war first kicked off. He stood all the troops out in front and said, "If I was in charge, I'd go ahead and bomb Japan just to let the world know America never forgets." Um, <clears throat> so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, can you? Yeah, I'm sure he got grief, man. Oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> oh boy. But yeah, what a great, what a great statement that was, dude. I'm looking forward, dude. I think uh, I know John's still listening. I think we get John and yourself. We got we got a couple other 
uh, high-end military guys, and we and we talk about leadership and and how that how how leadership portrays. You know, you know, I, I mean, leadership on the mat in the martial arts world, it's like anything else. Uh, the the mat's such an equalizer, right? You're either a minnow or a shark. You know, on in in the waters on any given day, and uh, how you how you uh, you know when situations come to you and how you adhere to them or what, how you react to them, I guess is a better word, but, uh, will reflect your leadership immensely. And those leaders that are under us now, even in schools, when we say something, we've lived something, you know what I mean? And, and we've experienced the repercussions of our actions. So when we say something, uh, I, for all tender purpose, we may know what we're talking about. I don't know. You know, whether you take it or not, that's on you as a man or a woman. You know what I mean? Whether you're going to take the advice or not take the advice. And you may or may not agree with the advice, but doesn't your feelings don't really interfere with what reality is. You know what I mean? And sure. so I think that's the same thing on the mat, correct? Absolutely. You know, the mat doesn't care how you feel. The mat doesn't no. care if you're hurt. The mat doesn't care what color you are. And the mat doesn't care if you had a bad day. You know what I mean? Yep. So uh, that's just one of those things. And so, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure, pleasure uh, being being with you, Chappie. We, we thank you so much for your service to our our country. People don't really don't realize uh, even it, the small the small entrance into the world. They, they, it doesn't even do justice on the amount of time that we spent together in talking and what you've done, what you've sacrificed for your um, family, having special needs. You have an awesome wife, by the way. And uh uh, she's uh, maybe we should have her on one time. It'd be good to hear a perspective from what a woman is going through when her her husband's deployed and she's got to be take on leadership at home when you're not there and take on a, a thing. She she'd probably have some really good insight as far as that goes. You know what I mean? Yes, so. Sir. All right. I appreciate everything, guys. Uh, Mr. Fortner, if you're out there listening, you got a good guy there. We, we, we appreciate that. He's in our family. All right. We'll talk soon, guys. Have an yes, awesome sir. day there, Joe. You too, sir. Thank you. All right, Chappie. We'll see you. Bye. You've been listening to Real Talk with Mark Cox. Real life, real topics, real conversation. We're passionate about motivation, fitness, self-defense, weight loss, and coming at it from a real angle. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you had fun. We know we did. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on Instagram and Facebook at MarkCox100. Make sure to subscribe and review. And tell a friend or two about the show. For more, hit up the website at MarkCox.com. Till next time, keep it real.